Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. Today we're going to talk about CTRMs, Commodity Trading Risk Management Systems. These are at the core of any commodity trader, crucial in capturing trades, tracking cash through the system. A single point of truth for any organization involved in trading. However, they have been very problematic over the last two decades, both in which platform to acquire or build, and also their implementation, draining huge amounts of resources from organizations in those processes. The role of CTRM is also changing with the digitization of the commodity sector itself, transitioning from being merely a recording tool into one that becomes the digital core of any organization. Joining us to discuss CTRMs, their past as well as their future, is Richard Payne. Richard is a managing partner at Capspire, a management consultancy focused on the commodities sector, and has had a long career both in industry and as a management consultant. Richard, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here. Before we dig into the detail, what exactly is a commodity trading and risk management system? Yeah, so a CTRM system is actually quite straightforward. I mean, it's a specialized piece of software focused on commodities trading and risk management, which helps the companies to manage the buying and selling of physical commodities, the movement and delivery of those commodities, and the associated risk management activities for those commodities. The core processes that tend to be covered within the system uh, would be the management of physical trades, the management of derivative trades, position management, logistics, risk management, planning, scheduling. But depending upon the system you're using, it can even spread as far as accounting. So it could be trade accounting as, as well as invoicing settlement. So there's all sorts of things that can come into it in terms of the core processes. But really, the nuts and bolts of what a commodity trading risk management system is there to do is to help a trader manage the purchase and the sale of a commodity and the movement of it from A to B. What's the origin of these systems? When did they start arising and what did they grow out of? The history, I think, really comes out of the gas and power market in the US in the 1990s following deregulation when there was obviously a market opportunity and lots of companies then jumped on that opportunity. And of course, when you're handling an increasing volume of transactions, then you need something to help you do it. So that's really where these systems came from. And then they moved into other commodities through the 2000s. If you think, you know, that was sort of around the middle of that decade, we had the growth in China in particular, and the opportunities that spawned the development of a lot of new companies in the market. Then the growth of these systems simply paralleled the growth of the traders in the marketplace, the volume of trades they were doing, and their need to manage that kind of complexity. And then the other thing that perhaps also stimulated the growth, tackling the, the latter part of that decade and then into the, the 2010s, is the influence of the regulator and the, the necessity to be able to, in many cases, comply with an increasingly complex range of reporting requirements. Yeah. Did these things grow out of enterprise resource planning systems or, or those providers started kicking into the CTRM space? When, what's the provenance of these systems? I would think of them as two distinct things. The, I mean, the ERP systems, the enterprise resource planning, of which you know SAP is perhaps the most well-known, they really didn't evolve in this area at all. You do see ERP systems like SAP being used for 
the management of commodities trading, but there are peculiarities to commodities trading, particularly around pricing, invoicing, risk management. The ERP systems typically don't cover. And if you look at the, most of those systems today that are used to some extent in this space, it's limited to risk management, typically around raw materials procurement. There will be additional modules which are kind of bolted in in order to fill the gaps that those ERP systems have in terms of some of the requirements for a commodities trading system. So I, I would try and think of them as two separate things. Okay. I guess before we come on to kind of the prevalence and the cost and all the challenges around implementation and which system to go for and, and so on, where exactly does a CTRM sit within the technology architecture of a trading organization? That's a really interesting question. I mean, and there are all sorts of different answers to it. There's the sort of the theoretical best practice answer, and there's the the honest answer that reflects a lot of the things that we see, you know, in the market today. I mean, I think the honest answer is <laughs> it depends on a lot of the legacy decisions that were made and the reasons why those decisions were made. I mean, if you think about it, Paul, I mean, and your business reflects this as well. Most trading technology architectures are the result of a real focus on commercial growth when the opportunity for that growth took place, let's say in the the 90s and then through the 2000s. So in many cases, there wasn't an awful lot of thought given to what kind of architecture are we looking for. So, So most of what you see today tends to be the result of an evolution over time. And there's that old joke about the the guy in a balloon in, uh, comes down in the field and asks the farmer, you know, how do I get to this place? And the farmer says, well, if you want to go there, I wouldn't start here. And that's where a lot of companies find themselves today. They They are impacted by the legacy of a lot of legacy decisions, which faced with the opportunity of digital in its broadest sense, they actually find it a bit of a struggle to move from where they are today to where they want to be. Can you enrich that for us a little bit? Can you give us an example of how it does manifest within an organization? Yeah, so I think what you, what you find is the reality in many trading organizations is that IT, technology, whatever you want to call it, has often been a kind of second thought to the commercial opportunities. So the entrepreneurial drive to grow and then to hence be supported by some kind of system has led to a kind of patchwork quilt, often a very siloed systems, often spreadsheets, often supporting ill-defined processes or, or sometimes not even supporting processes at all. And if you thought about where should it fit, it should really fit at the center as the core engine, which is the source of truth around all the transactional data processing. And there's a bit of jargon that's grown up, particularly in the ERP landscape, where you talk about the digital core. And I think there's actually quite a good analogy with that ERP development because the ERP is a digital core. I mean, this has evolved very much with SAP becoming the default transaction management system. And as I said, the source of truth around the businesses. Around that, what's emerged is a much more flexible environment of digital applications, which enable the utilization of that core, clean, enterprise-wide data, which the business can then take advantage of to reduce costs, better manage supply chains, better manage risks, etc. However, what you see in most cases within trading companies is data information tends to reside in the silos in which that information was produced. And there is a real struggle looking at data on an enterprise-wide basis. So 
when you think about theoretically, what do you want? You want the ability to understand what's going on in your transactional core across the business. How you then utilize and take advantage of that information, that's a kind of secondary consideration, but that really is what a CTRM system should be there to do. So you have this like accretion of different systems as built up over 15 years or whatever it might be that an organization has been bolting on new commodities, new, new, new services. And I imagine this is what we've seen over the last few years, right? It then comes a point where it's very attractive to say, let's build a new system from scratch or let's you know, buy a new system and overhaul our entire CTRM platform because of the benefits you just alluded to of having that single truth, source of truth, that digital core that you can then rebuild from, lowering costs, all the you know, compliance, all these things. So these are huge and expensive things to buy and build and implement. Before we talk about some of the challenges around implementation and whether to build or buy and, and so forth, at what scale does an organization need a a CTRM, and, and can you just help us understand a little bit to do with the costs and the scale and the time span of actually creating or implementing one of these systems? Yeah, I mean, that's a very good question. And I have a, a few friends in Geneva who started their own businesses, and one of the things they really struggle with as they move from being in one of the big traders to working for themselves is how do we afford, at what point do we implement one of these systems? For a small business, there's no doubt that you can run that using Excel. I mean, absolutely, it's, it's completely possible. I think the challenge that has been in the past for smaller companies looking at CRM, CTRM, is that there's been, a, as you said, a kind of perception and a structure in the industry that this is a big ticket cost. And particularly, I think that's been driven by the fact that most of the vendors who were early into the space have tended to build their products off the back of one of the let's say one of the super majors or one of the bigger independent traders, one of the ABCDs, et cetera. And of course, that means a different spend size compared to 10, 20, 30, 50 people type organization. So that limited access via a simple financial difficulty has resulted in a lot of those smaller traders, again, being very much prisoners to the spreadsheet spaghetti that you often see. However, I do think it's important to note that it doesn't necessarily need to be like that. You don't necessarily need to be consuming gazillions of dollars to get one of these systems up and running. And I think particularly with some of the technology developments which we put under this title digital, you know, things like cloud and so on, the ability to overcome the kind of barriers to entry and the emergence of new or newish vendors who are taking advantage of that in terms of offering different kinds of ways of presenting this capability to their clients, it does mean that these kind of big monolithic systems implementations that took, you know, two years with lots and lots of people and lots and lots of consultants are not necessarily a thing of the past. But I think there is a different path which is a which is which is open to traders these days that wasn't there, let's say, five to ten years ago. Mm. And I want to come back to that because I think that's a really fascinating aspect of this topic, how, how rapidly it's changing. But we all sort of have heard that the horror stories or the, the headline numbers of billions of dollars spent on new CTRMs that have sometimes even been abandoned uh, mid-course. Why has it been historically, at least, so challenging to, I guess, both pick but also implement these systems when organizations do get to that point that they need to overhaul the, their current CTRM function? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those kind of questions that um, is one of those things you kind of chew over on a Sunday afternoon in the pub. It's, it is an area which 
fascinates me because if you think a bit from a technology perspective, and let's use our SAP example again, I mean, that, that system has been around since the mid-80s, you know, that it was first built and implemented at ICI and it kind of grew from there. But through the 90s and 2000s, I mean, there were lots of examples of SAP implementations in inverted commas going wrong as there have been, you know, the same kind of, let's call them teething problems with CRM implementations within our industry. And, and you can see many of the common themes that don't necessarily condemn a program to fail, but certainly don't necessarily contribute to a guarantee of success. And that's things like you lead with technology rather than the business rationale, not having a clear business case for why you're implementing a particular system with a particular set of functionality. There are often problems with the implementation itself, you know, inadequate planning, detailed planning in particular, program management. And one of the things that you often see is the in some cases, it's an absence. In some cases, it's ineffective business leadership where responsibility is often delegated to IT or technology or even in middle office finance to get these things up and running. So there are generic themes that I think are true across all kinds of technology. If you look at some of the CTRM specifics, there are a couple of things I would pick out. I mean, there are lots we could talk about, but a few key ones. You tend to see vendors who have moved from developing their product in one asset class in the search for growth, then move into another. Sometimes they don't necessarily understand some of the complexities. Sometimes the product is oversold in terms of its maturity. You know, I went through that from the business side in one of my previous employers, where it was very clear that um, what the vendor was telling us the system could do, it quite plainly couldn't. But we only found that out when we were in the guts of the implementation. I think that then has a a knock-on in terms of the client really having to be very aware when they're doing the system selection and making sure they do very, very detailed due diligence. There's very much a kind of caveat emptor uh, underlying some of these decisions. So you do need to be kind of on your on your own metal, right, in terms of making sure that you're making the right decision and you're not just swallowing what the vendor is telling you. I think one other thing I would also highlight is there is often a a level of complexity that a client introduces trading technology which is often invo- which often relates to the way they've done things historically and the way things have been done historically as we've discussed before often is a an evolution that then tries to get translated into a system so that they can continue doing a particular process in the way they've always done that process that often results in what you sometimes hear called a Frankenstein system where the technology has been so configured that it really doesn't resemble what it was to start with. But it's it's based on, a, I think, an unwillingness to let go of the way of doing things in the past mm. and a reluctance to take on the standardization of process in the future that would enable a much simpler implementation. Yeah, yeah. I, I have some sympathy with that tied to our own CRM that we use and the, the options available on, on all fronts, actually. I think there's a lot of um, crossover. I guess it also reminds us that how complex commodities, physical commodities, and actually the nuance, the devil in the detail about how different they can be to one another, right? If you think about many of the, during the 2000s, early 2010s, the trading houses in particular were all driving for growth through accessing new, new commodities, and that is, presents its own challenge 
there's one other just in previous discussions you and I have had. One of it is kind of like how bought in this is at the leadership level within an organization is is also very much tied to how successful the end product becomes, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we go back to the digital conversation, and you know, as you said, we we've discussed this, but you see technology, digital technology appearing as one of the headline themes in all the industry conferences. You know, these days, whether it's kind of virtual IP week thing that's going on at the moment, or you know, the Financial Times conferences and so on, and you do hear the leadership of many of the big trading houses talking about technology. I think the reality, certainly in the past, has been that technology has been seen as a utility. In some cases, a utility at best, and often the predominant theme coming out of the business is keep the cost down. So I think there there is a need for a an evolution in terms of you know today's leadership and the leadership that's coming to become much more. I use the word conversant, but it but it but it but it's it's more than that. It's becoming much more switched on to the possibilities and even necessities of how a business will need to use technology to compete in the future. I mean, if we think of the new generations coming through and this, you know, phrase, the digital natives and so on, and, you know, we've discussed in your world of of recruitment how the technical skills are becoming more and more sought after. You're recruiting people who've grown up with technology, and to them it's intuitive. So I think it's a question even of leadership today being educated by some of the people who are coming in in their 20s and 30s in terms of the possibility, the opportunities that are open to them, if they can really start to understand and to leverage the possibilities of technology in their company, both internally and externally, and no longer seeing it as something that we hand it over to the IT guys, they go do it. So I think that whole governance, leadership, sponsorship, whatever you want to call it, is a real key transition that needs to be made into the future and and i think one of the conversations we had in the past was very much around you know the the, the kind of different way that technology is viewed in say the hedge fund world in the past few years compared to say some of the physical commodities traders and how vitally important it is to success in that industry it needs to be viewed in exactly the same way as it is in our world that's my simple view yeah, the idea that data is an engine. The so and that sort of goes nicely into our next bit is kind of the, the question of build or buy, right? And I think that that's a a subject that has become historically the only option was really buy, outside of some major organisations that had deep pockets and big dreams. But now that's probably with lowering costs with the cloud and actually with organizations wanting to starting to recognize that um, technology is at the, the core of what they do you know these are data companies not physical trading companies now as a as a few people would say that it's more of a live discussion can you just give us your thoughts on whether to build or whether to buy if you're that trading house that's or organization that's starting to get to the the level at which you know it becomes a necessity to implement a CTRM or to make a change Yeah, I think some of this goes back to what we just discussed in terms of governance and leadership. I mean, if I think of the Cargill that I joined many years ago, I mean, there was a an absolute firm belief in the senior leadership of that company that there was embedded IP in the way that they did things in how they process transactions. That was a kind of article of faith. I think that's moving on now to a point where people will will say to you that processing a transaction is processing a transaction. There's nothing in that for us. But I think in that previous generation of leadership, that wasn't true because if you had the ability via a system to do that and do it really well, 
you were ahead. So the influence of that on some of the legacy architectures in some of the big traders today is very clear. And there are a number, and, and I think everybody is familiar with them, that there are a number of sort of historic as well as current build initiatives going on, which was seen as, as a way to, one, ensure that the the implementation problems of buying a substandard or a, a system filled with gaps wouldn't appear, but also, secondly, to preserve the intellectual property of the way that we did things around here. I think the transition that's being made now is, one, a realization that trade capture is trade capture, get over it, sort of move on. That's just a, a core business process in the same way as order to cash would be in, a, in, in an ERP system. So I think that's something that is pervading now the mindset. And I think then what we have is the development in the marketplace in terms of these tools has been such that two things have happened. The first is, particularly in certain commodities, there are, I think, emerging best of breeds where you can say, if you're going to trade gas, you should probably look at this system. This is probably the the leading one. But then also, if we go back to our point about the silos, there is, as we said, you can quite happily, I think, have a series of best of breed systems related to your commodities that you're trading, but you have the capacity now to integrate those systems at an enterprise level to do things like risk management, for example, in a way that wasn't necessarily as accessible some years ago. So I think the smart answer is you're a trading house, you're not a software developer. What makes you think you can be successful doing that? You may well be just through the resources you can throw at it, bright people, good management, whatever, but it is going to be an inevitable distraction and a big drain on your resources in, in, in all sorts of ways. So I think for me now, I would say there's very little justification, particularly doing it at scale to try and build your own system. There's enough out there if you can architect it in a sensible way, utilizing some of these new integrating technologies that really makes that discussion redundant in my perspective. So you can buy the best of breed, as you put it, for the various commodities you're in, but there are these applications, whatever, they, that integrate it now so you don't have that siloed effect that you're still, in, in the end, resorting to spreadsheets at some point. That's exactly right. And, and some of these systems come with their own kind of in, in-house APIs, if you want to put it that way, to integrate, for example, into, into your finance system, or you can create you know, kind of a, a data management layer which can kind of do that for you. So, so actually, I think in the in the new world, whereas a lot of the focus was on the maintenance and the ongoing development support, et cetera, of the system. I mean, hopefully the system becomes a much quieter place and actually the development becomes much more focused on one, making sure the integrations work, but then also thinking about, well, what is it that we need in order to take advantage of that data, whether that be analytics, for example. And we start having a lot more focus on the analytics layer in that architecture rather than trying to embed all that in one big kind of monolithic system. So the conversation sounds like has moved a bit away from building your own CTRM back to buy it because they're a lot more customizable. There was a period of when a lot of trading houses were building CTRMs with a view that they could then spin them off and sell them to others. Did that ever happen? Yeah, I mean, there are a couple in the market. I have some direct experience of that from an industry role in looking at, at one of those systems. I mean, I think there were, there were definitely two camps. The first was, that's been built by X company. There's no way we'll ever buy that. And then the other one was, well, it's a, it's a software system that works, so why wouldn't we look at it? And I think it, it would be 
slightly simplifying it, but there was definitely an age related. <laughs> there was definitely an age relation in terms of who sat in those different camps. I think that's a possibility. Again, I, I would come back to it's kind of business school 101. What do you do and what are you good at? I think if a, a trader has a good piece of software that they developed in-house, I think the sensible thing to do is to spin it off completely, to cut all ties, perhaps you remain as a, a very passive shareholder. I think the challenge, though, is the likelihood is that the 100% pure players, if you want to put it that way, who are focused on these markets and focused on developing that technology, they will tend to have a much wider client base and gene pool, if you like, in working out what is needed, how to improve it, how to take on some of the new opportunities compared to one which is very much tied to a particular company. So it's a possibility, certainly. I, I don't see why that shouldn't be successful, but I, I would have thought that that company would need to kind of cut it loose and let it sort of thrive on its own two feet, as it were, rather than try and put its arms around it and market it as something which is kind of rubber stamped by one of the particular traders. I want to come back and really nail down the idea of the digital core before we move on to the future. But the last decade has definitely been characterized by a small handful of very successful independent trading houses. For the most part, have they built their own or they bought a vendor system? And is there any correlation between how effectively they've implemented those systems, built or bought, and their performance? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I think the, the answer is it depends. There are clearly examples in oil trading of some of the very successful oil traders who have built their own systems and even today would tell you that those systems are fundamental to their success both now and in the future. I think, however, there are very clear examples of where some of the big traders have gone out into the market. They've bought a system. In some cases, that's been highly configured to their own requirements, but it is still a third party system, although in some cases, again, those have been internalized. I don't think in the future there is any correlation between the success of a trader necessarily and the fact that it's built its own system. I mean, if you're competing on the fact that you can take a trade through the life cycle more efficiently because you've built the system that does it, that doesn't really strike me as much of a, a business model. I mean, I think you come back to, again, let's use SAP as an analogy. I think it's a good one. If you're a company of a certain size, you buy SAP. It's almost a foregone conclusion. And, and the company, you know, as you well know, is, is, is dominant in many, many industries. To the extent that industries have developed industry solutions. So if I'm a utility, if I'm a chemicals company, I go and buy the solution for my industry. And I adapt my processes the way I do things to that solution because there's really no value in not doing it. Purchase to pay, order to cash, all of these core standard processes, everyone should be doing it the same way because there's nothing in it competitively. The key thing is, what am I doing with that data? That's the bit which is differentiator. And the better my, if you like, my data pipe, my data lake, then I have you know, a better opportunity to take advantage of that data, turn it into useful information, and use it, for example, to improve the way that I do business. If that data continues to reside, as we've discussed before, in silos, fragmented, poor quality, et cetera, et cetera, then I'm inhibiting myself. So if we think of the, the conversations that go around the evolution of trading and the structural challenges, the margins, 
the challenges of getting access to finance, et cetera, et cetera. I think if you're, if you're focused on competing by having your own system, you may be trying to compete in the wrong way. But if that system is your digital core and that's your source of truth and that's capturing and creating rich data, that then can be, as we've talked in other podcasts and you've alluded to just earlier, that can then become a source of competitive advantage. But simply the, the banality of capturing a trade Sorry, is that you know is that's not it, but actually having these systems at the center of your, your as your digital core, that can be, start to deliver value to you. Yeah, I mean, if you think of it, it comes back to this overused phrase and well, overused word now, agility. If you think of some of the things going on, you know, out in the wider world and and some of the really exciting stuff that's happening in this landscape, a lot of that will depend on the ability to plug yourself in externally in a very agile, nimble way to the potential of that external technology. Now, if you have a closed-off system which doesn't facilitate opening up your data or getting the data from an external source for whatever reason, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. So I think that's one of the key things about some of this new sort of architectural stuff. It really is about opening yourself up to the world and being able by your choice, to bring in what the world is offering as opposed to it's all within my four walls. I think the point about the four walls, I mean, this is interesting. I mean, if you think about the transition that a lot of companies, let's say in other industries are going through, that the kind of traditional companies are trying to find ways to generate cash improvements within their internal operations to help them fund investments as they pivot into this digital world. So if you think about it in the commodities context, it is very difficult when you're looking at a a very short-term business where, if you like, your oxygen, your cash flow comes from trading to say, okay, we're now going to divert that into investments in this. And the investments in this may be paying off in five, 10, who knows however many years. However, if you can drive efficiencies by exploiting your own digital core the potential operational efficiencies that you can strive for by having a better information, better use of information, better decision-making around that information. That's a means by which you can generate cash, generate savings to invest on an ongoing basis rather than kind of taking that away from the way that profits are generated today, which is the core trading. I mean, does that make sense? That's something I think you see happening in other industries. It kind of becomes self-funding as opposed to we're diverting the money that we would rather invest in our commercial activities today into something that may or may not pay off in the future. And I think there's also embedded in that a really existential sort of question that historically these trading houses, commodity traders, have, yeah, they've built walls because their own internal IP, the way they do things is what's generated the money. The world is slowly moving towards a more open architecture where how it you integrate with external parties. And we see this in commodity trading platforms, right? There's a real tension between, okay, allowing another a third party to integrate with your system, which could create a lot of savings, a lot of operational efficiencies, but potentially expose your IP. Yeah. And that's a real tension. And you see that kind of playing out in every every industry. Are you iOS or are you, you know, Google type type approaches? And I and I think that's going to be really critical going forwards, which would point back to the idea that actually, whilst building your own system might be great, suddenly that's going to lay on a lot of complexity when it comes to integrating with future platforms and future part, you know, alliances. 
where really it's about how your digital cores interact with, with those vendors. It's going to be quite an interesting dynamic going forwards. I guess that brings us really nicely towards the future of the CTRM, which is, I think, trying to highlight from this discussion is it's kind of going from a a reporting, a pretty, you know, it's, it's good to have, all this kind of stuff, to actually becoming potentially at the core of how your organization both makes money but also interacts with the with all third parties you come across. In the short term, what do you see for vendors of CTRMs? What do you see for users of it? And then can you sort of give us a bit of a, a view of what a, the CTRM of the future might look like? If you put the crystal ball on, I mean, I think obviously the, the fortunes of many of the CTRM vendors will be driven by the fortunes and, and the evolution of, of the traders and how the market develops. I think there is obviously a trend towards consolidation. It's maybe not been as fast or as, as prevalent in some some of the commodity classes as might have been predicted. But I would expect that there will be some Darwinism on the vendor side where certain products will likely disappear. They'll be superseded, for example, by newer products. Or indeed, as per the SAP example, there will become a kind of a dominant go-to product for particular industries. I think one of the other things that we may well see is you sort of have this idea of, like I said, the, the industry standard trading technology, you know, for example, you know, the gas and power system. And then I suspect what you'll find is in order to facilitate more global nature of the business, there will be sort of country-specific packs which take account of regional differences, you know, particular regulations, laws, etc., that you have to deal with in certain cases. I mean, if, if you ever get involved in agricultural trading systems, then um, as soon as you say Brazil, immediately it becomes an exception. You know, I hope in the future Brazil will just be another series of functionality that needs to be turned on in the same way uh, as in, for example, an ERP system. I think what you'll find is you'll have that sort of central, if you like, data data layer managed by one or more CTRM systems. Around that, you'll have these best-of-breed apps. You know, however those are developed, they could be in-house built, they could be coming from the market. Again, that level of flexibility is there to plug in and indeed plug out those things as is necessary to support future develop the integration management tools will become extremely important and then i think you know the you know the final pieces you you'll see i think a hopefully a, a kind of a rationalization of some of the activities that make a very clear distinction between a finance system uh, for example and a ctrm system and they both do different things so hopefully you, you don't see finance systems being configured to become pseudo trading systems and all they do is accounts receivable, payable, uh, the general ledger and the financial reporting. So I think that's at a sort of tactical level. I would hope within trading houses themselves, as, as we've discussed, that as this new generation, you know, comes through, takes on the leadership, I think the collapse in the historical divisions, and I think in some cases there have been historical divisions, I use the word divisions lightly, between technology and the business, the front office, I think hopefully we will see that collapse in a very positive way. You'll have a new generation of top talent transitioning the tech native kind of approach into commodities technology. But key to that is, I think, accepting that you have to give up a little bit of control to adopt industry solutions in order to deliberately avoid customization where it's not necessary and actually focus your effort on where you have 
the potential to use technology for your advantage in the future. I think that's a very important distinction. It's really difficult today, I think, in some cases to separate almost the historic, the kind of macho focus on this is my technology versus actually I don't care. Does a job. It's fine. Let's move on. Let's talk about the stuff that's really interesting. That's where we need to drive the conversation. Yeah. I guess a final thing to address is that there have been, since blockchain hit the zeitgeist, articles out there saying that, you know, is this the end of the CTRM? And I guess the the, the concept there is essentially if you a shared ledger that can capture a trade in its a physical trade in its entirety. And I, I know that there's lots of challenges around the existing base layer technologies out there to do this because of the complexity around commodities. But do you see a world where the core function of a CTRM is is actually, I guess, validating a shared ledger in the, in the space? And kind of, in some senses, it loses its importance or at least the scale in the trading organization. Yeah, I mean, blockchain, I mean, I was involved in blockchain quite a lot when I was at, at Accenture. There's no doubt it's a really interesting technology. And I think the use cases that came up in commodities trading were some of the most sophisticated and far-reaching in terms of their, their their vision. I think like all of these things, Paul, there's an element of the hype cycle that uh, is well known and, and, and will play out over time. I think the danger is leading, again, it's, it's leading with technology. It's when you hear somebody saying, we're doing something in blockchain. I think you, you have to kind of come back and say, well, what is the problem that blockchain would solve for a CTRM system? I can see the utility of blockchain outside of the four walls of the trading organization. So I think the idea of the distributed ledger in logistics for the chain of origin type discussions, where's the stuff come from? Where's it been? That is definitely something that will be, you know, I think increasingly important, particularly, well, it already is in agriculture. You already see, you know, moves there, but we've already seen the ability to differentiate metal that's produced, you know, in, in a green, in inverted commas way from non-green metal is potentially also something. So that that kind of supply chain visibility, definitely I can see blockchain having a having a major role. But in terms of replacing a trading system in-house, you could conceive of it. I think it's more likely it would threaten things like, uh, you know, the exchanges or brokerages. I, th- I think that's probably more likely. The challenge with something like blockchain, and, and I think this is now, as those of us who are the big enthusiasts sort of realize some of these difficulties, the blockchain itself is a kind of a monolith. It requires to work in our environment. It requires an extreme number of actors to kind of all get on board, agree standards, agree how things are going to work, blah, blah, blah. There's just an awful lot of work to get the things set up in order to facilitate some of the benefits that may come from it. So I think using blockchain for what it might be good for, which is recording this immutable record. I'm not so sure the smart contract type idea of having all the automation between participants is is necessarily something that will play out, but I can definitely see it having a role. The point I would make, and I think make most strongly about this is there's still going to be one source of truth for my organization. That should be my system. That should sit within, you know, figuratively sit at least within my four walls. That's my data. However, the blockchain being fed by that data, absolutely. can definitely see that in a number of cases. But blockchain replacing it, no, I think, I think we've got enough problems trying to get organized within our four walls, our own systems, never mind getting a whole industry to agree on how that would work between them. I, I think that's probably a step too far. 
Well, perfect. It's been a um, fascinating discussion. I've really enjoyed it. It's a rapidly changing space, and it's amazing how these decisions that leadership have to make are changing, or at least the environment's changing so quickly. There's probably you know, it's hard to sort of manage these systems for what's going to happen in the future, make them future-proof. But I've really enjoyed the discussion, and uh, yeah, thanks for your, thanks for your time, Richard. Yeah, absolute pleasure, Paul. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To find out more about HC Insider and Human Capital, a search firm dedicated to the commodities sector, go to www.hcinsider.global, where you'll find more original content on the commodities sector and more details on our offering as a search firm and our locations around the world. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.